<laughs> yeah. And it's told so cinematically. Like at the very beginning of the mm-hmm. game when there's no music and you just see the crew in the cockpit taking off and then it cuts to Kirby on the star and then it cuts back to them and then it cuts to Kirby approaching on the star. It, it's, it's just told with such flair. Well, hi, Bridget. Hey. (laughs) Welcome back, everyone, to Kirby Conversations, episode two. Today, it's just uh, Bridget and me, and we are talking about the revenge of Meta Knight in Kirby Superstar. Uh, So Kai had something come up. Uh, She'll be back again soon for our conversation about mechs, hopefully. But Kai has actually not played Kirby Superstar, so I thought this was a perfect opportunity to talk about Kirby Superstar uh, with just the two of us here. Um, for for both of us, I think it's our favorite video game of all time. So yes, <laughs> this is definitely something we enjoy talking about, and hopefully Kai will be back soon. But we want to start with this one rather than just talking about all of Kirby Superstar and being like, "Here's one episode about Kirby Superstar." This game is so big that we wanted to break it down by individual sub game, and that's how I'd really like to do a lot of these podcast episodes. Is rather than trying to just do like one game per episode looking at particular aspects of a game or looking at certain mechanics or level types or tropes or breaking them down rather than just doing, you know, this game in this episode, this game in this episode. Uh, Yeah, I think there's a lot of content in the game and also such variety that I think analyzing it might be different than some of the other titles. Uh, So I think that's a good idea. Yeah, and you were saying before, like, it feels like there could almost be an entire podcast just about Kirby Superstar. So maybe <laughs> that's I just had what we'll do. Way. Like every week, it's just Kirby Superstar again. <laughs> yeah. Kyle, no, there's definitely... back, we're like, no, Kai, we're still talking about Kirby Superstar. There's still more to discuss. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, there's so much great Kirby games. Uh, I think this one just resonates with us. And there is a lot to say about it. So it's very exciting. So um, getting into The Revenge of Meta Knight. I'm going to assume maybe people sort of know what this is a little already, but this is Kirby boarding the Halberd and uh, taking it down while Meta Knight and his crew are providing this ongoing dialogue throughout the game. And it's not a long game. Uh, If you know what you're doing, you can get through it all in a little less than half an hour, but it's just so dense with interesting moments and humor and exciting boss battles and things just keep coming at you. Uh, they really keep up the tension really well. Uh, it's got a timer, which most Kirby things like don't have timers. So like that adds to the tension too. And there's just a lot of really interesting things going on here um, with the way it combines the action with the dialogue and a really nice story to, to go along with it. Uh, yeah, I feel like nowadays Kirby's sort of more renowned for for lore and more you know like bigger kind of conflicts and and uh background information but i feel like the the narrow and kind of uh specific story of meta night uh revenge of meta night is just like just concentrated fun it is just and it's a lot about kirby 
the video game character, which I love. Like, I, I feel like nowadays there's like all this merchandise for Kirby that's like pink, puffy, powerful. And uh, I feel like this is one of those first modes where you like really feel it. Like the whole story is just like, <laughs> like Kirby just destroying, you know, causing mayhem um, from at least from the perspective of the characters talking, because this is like the only mo like Kirby game I know too, where there's like more dialogue and, and character, you know, happenings and personality happening uh, during the events of the game. And it's very, and from their perspective, it's this sort of like harrowing and uh, ever ever present threat <laughs> that's increasing as, as you make progress for mm -hmm. them. So it's pretty fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the dialogue, I feel like it's well written. You know, it's it's not really deep or anything, but it's it's funny and it's um, it's it's just sharp. The voices for the different characters feel really well defined. And it's interesting to look at the different translations of it, too, because the original Kirby Superstar has slightly different dialogue than Kirby Superstar Ultra. And it's it's fun to look yeah. back at how they slightly adjusted it and to really think about it as a work in translation. Um, it almost reminds me of when I, I read a play or something that was originally written in another language. And then you're reading another adaptation where it's like, oh, this Chekhov play has this voice. But then when this person adapted it, like, now this character has a slightly different personality because they've interpreted that character slightly differently based on the original text. You can kind of do that with the Revenge of Meta Knight and go, oh, well, in this version, this character is maybe funnier or they seem more concerned at this point in time. The, the Kirby Superstar Ultra translation is slightly darker in certain parts that are actually closer to the original Japanese text. I'll, I'll see if I can find it. I do have it here. Yeah, I was aware of some of the changes, but I wasn't like uh, I I didn't quite remember uh, the specifics. Uh, but I didn't know there were some changes. Yeah, so there's one moment uh, towards the end where Meta Knight says it's dangerous, but it's worth a try. When they're kind of on their last legs, um, trying to take down Kirby, and in the Kirby Star Ultra, um, Kirby Superstar Ultra version, he says, "You are all about to perish. Do as you please." So there, there's definitely a difference in tone between those two sentiments. Um, yeah. And just this sort of like regard for the other crew members changes. Um, it's kind of striking <laughs> in this story too, just that Meta Knight is the villain. And it's really the only time that Meta Knight is just a clear antagonist. And I'm not sure why he's so violent in this version. Like he goes from just being this kind of mysterious figure in Kirby's adventure when he's first introduced to being a clear antagonist. And then he just kind of goes back to being Kirby's mysterious friend. So I don't know if he was just having a bad day and decided he was <laughs> going to try to take over dreamland or like why he has this battleship all of a sudden, but it's interesting just how different the character is just for this particular story. Uh, that's never really followed up on. Yeah. I think, I guess it's open to interpretation. I mean, the title implies some kind of revenge and the only other time he i can think of that he would maybe want revenge for is maybe the losing in an adventure in the sword fight or something and uh with his knights uh and maybe he just wanted to you know prove himself as a swordsman or something like that maybe he just had his own i guess there's that dialogue too during one of the one of the cut scenes where it's like it's about you know ending uh pop stars lazy you know, Dreamland's lazy days or 
lifestyle. So maybe as a knight, he, you know, has a different <laughs> belief system of, of how people should should uh, approach living or something. But, you know, it's it's not entirely as important as, like, uh, what the story is for, I guess, Kirby uh, and for the player. But, like, uh, you know, it, it does give you a lot to think about. It, it is like a question mark, like, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's like it all seems to be motivated by him just finding them lazy and saying he's going to take over everything. But it feels yeah. like kind of an overreaction to bring out this massive battleship to try to take everything over. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's like on Survivor how there's always that, or, you know, on some seasons there's this recurring trope of like the older person who wants everyone to work and feels like all the younger people are lazy and then they end up in this kind of antagonistic relationship with each other. Maybe Meta yeah. is just that guy wanting people to work on the <laughs> shelter and collect more firewood. Oh, he's definitely like a bootstraps kind of guy, I think. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's just so much dialogue in this. And this is and dialogue's not really something that you get very much of during this era of Kirby. And to mm-hmm. have this like play sort of unfolding throughout the like action of the story uh, just makes it so compelling. Um, and you're really seeing what Kirby is like from other people's perspectives. They're really responding to how powerful he is. They're like, okay, we're going to try this thing now. Send out the heavy lobster or send out the this thing, right? And then they're like shocked that he keeps destroying all these things. And they <laughs> think they, you know, blasted him off the ship at one point and then he comes yes. back again. And the fact that this adventure is relatively short and there's this moment to moment like action and set pieces, uh, it, it really keeps up the momentum really well. And it's fun all the way through. Yes. This is definitely like, and I like the the all the varied modes in the game, uh, for different reasons. Uh, but this is probably one of the most popular ones, and for good reason. I, I think it's all that personality, all that action, that tension, uh, and the climax and everything is so cool. Uh, it's it's real mm-hmm. solid. And when you contrast the environments in this particular sub game compared to what has come before it. Uh, Spring Breeze, uh, Spring Breeze had you in these forests and these fields, and you know a castle. And Dyna Blade is a lot of those same kind of natural environment types. The Great Cave Offensive, a lot of natural environments where you're in a cave and you know you're underwater. And then you get to this battleship in the sky that has all these industrial environments and these metal rooms and doors and these ventilation areas and it's just such a a stark contrast to the environments that kirby has been (laughs) in up to this point i I like (laughs) i know it's like a contested thing like the graphics and the original uh and even like maybe the styling of of either game uh but i i kind of like it It makes it distinct you know there's like not i feel like kirby games now kind of have like a standardized aesthetic now where it's sort of like you know this is the usual settings and this is like the the kind of colors that we use now and that kind of thing but superstar just kind of had its own like very of the times very 90s kind of gritty weird (laughs) pre-rendered like style to it that i kind of think has its own charm is kind of a different vibe that you don't really get (laughs) it's not normally kirby and i think it kind of just like makes the mode more interesting too because of how like weird and industrial like the halberd looks mm-hmm. too uh, it just like really sticks out to me like i remember it yeah this is my favorite kirby art style the 16-bit pixel art art style for him 
Um, I like they used the word gritty because that is kind of what it is, right? It, it's it's still cute because it's Kirby, but it's like it 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 lacks the continuity with where he's been before, right? Where you really feel like, oh, this is different. And it's like we're out of the forest now. We're in this like hostile, <laughs> vaguely militaristic kind of environment. Yeah, there's like weird machinery in the background and like cables that light and like just hooks all over the place. It's like that doesn't vibe with the more Sanrio kind of friendly, like cute aesthetic that is like exclusively Kirby now. It is like it was definitely like they wanted to make a cool game probably based on like how cool the 90s were and how like there's so many more like shooters, like retro shooters back then on consoles and like that space stuff was cool and like the rendered thing with Donkey Kong was happening. And it's just like this weird distinct (laughs) culmination of like the devs clearly wanted to kind of do something kind of cool, even though it's like maybe not where Kirby would eventually land aesthetically and like identity wise, but for like the times (laughs) it's just like weird. (laughs) Yeah. It does feel very nineties. In a way that's kind of hard oh, yeah. to articulate, but it, it's very there. <laughs> yeah. And it's told so cinematically. Like at the very beginning of the mm-hmm. game when there's no music and you just see the crew in the cockpit taking off and then it cuts to Kirby on the star and then it cuts back to them and then it cuts to Kirby approaching on the star. It, it's it's just told with such flair. And then like Kirby lands on the deck and then you hear like the harsh metallic music start to play and you're off Mm -hmm. the timer starts to run and it just throws you right into (laughs) it and it's exciting uh it's so exciting so many kirby games are experiences where you kind of you know go through this sort of relaxing you know the relaxing dreamland environment (laughs) and it's not super challenging you can take your time and this is not that um it really Mm -mm. propels you through it with a sense of of tension Uh, a sense of an ongoing narrative really driving the action and uh, it just works so well i agree yeah it's it's memorable it's a memorable mode i think the music's memorable the halberd would eventually be you know something that returned in future kirby games as well as like straight up in smash brothers it was like a big part of (laughs) like smash brothers brawls like story mode yeah subspace emissary too it was like the whole thing where everyone's just trying to Get on there. And you get to see the Halberd uh, take down our wings from Star Fox. And yeah, you get this really so cool. interesting kind of intersection between <laughs> these different series. Yeah, yeah it's cool. Uh, uh, the the subspace is very mm-hmm. fun. Yeah, I've, I've thought about revisiting that and just an episode on its own. Because it's been such a long oh, time that I've really watched or played through that. Um, yeah. But- Okay. But yeah, the Halberd is so recognizable now from Smash Brothers as well because it's a stage there that just so accurately recreates um, what that experience is like. Right? It's got the combo cannon with the claw and the cannonballs and the lasers, mm-hmm. and you're kind of going through the sky. You're seeing the orange ocean behind them. Um, like yeah. Nat- yeah. I mean, naturally, Sakurai did it well because it's his game, <laughs> but but it, it's just <laughs> well, cool yeah. to see it, um, you know, with with then modern Wii graphics at the time and just rendered so well. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, and speaking of the music, uh, the theme yeah. song for this game is one of only two pieces of video game music to win a Grammy. Yeah. Which is, which oh my God, that was incredible, kind of right? mind-blowing, <laughs> right? 
Um, that was such an exciting year. This was like the 30th anniversary also of Kirby. There was already so many amazing announcements. And the next thing you know on the news, too, it's like one of the only games to also like songs to ever get a Grammy. And it's just like, whoa, what a Kirby yeah, year. Yeah, Charlie Rosen <laughs> and Jake Silverman, um, also known as Button Masher, and the 8-Bit Big Band uh, did an arrangement of the theme song for Meta Knight's Revenge. Uh, that song you hear, you know, right when you hit the deck at the beginning of the game um, that that plays throughout the adventure. Um, they did this big band adaptation of it. And somehow that got the attention of the Grammys and it won the Grammy for best uh, arrangement, instrumental or acapella. Yeah, it's exciting. It's a great version, too. And if folks haven't seen like the video, it's like the the folks are performing the song and they're they're amazing. But they also have this like amazing like um, sprite animation with sprites from the game kind of like playing out sort of like a version of of the events in the game in the video. It's the whole thing is so fun. Yeah, to the, the music is given a really nice visual experience as well. So you can you can watch it and there's a lot to look at. Uh, really bringing kind of the the action of the game to life while you're listening to the the song for the game it's originally from. I also wanted to mention on the topic of uh, the dialogue early from the story. I know we're we're on the music. Yeah, we can now, jump around. Mm-hmm. But but uh, something that's interesting about that dialogue that that's happening through the game. There was like a Sakurai video um, titled "Just Let Them Play." where he talks about an issue often uh, in games is that uh, to quote him, he said uh, a game that starts slow is often a game that's starting on the wrong foot. And it's often like games that kind of take too much with their storytelling to really get into the game for players. And I think that was maybe a particular way that he thought about approaching storytelling in gaming, where it's kind of just happening as the, the players doing, doing uh, uh, their gameplay and I think because, you know, at the time there wasn't really like voice work, I feel like it's maybe something he took to uh, other games like Kid Icarus where the characters are talking and now there's like actual audio and uh, he can have them express things while you're playing. Uh, so I think he kind of maybe took that like design idea, that storytelling idea, maybe, you know, it, at least for me, it reminds me of... Uh, Meta Knight's Revenge mm-hmm. or Revenge of Meta Knight. Uh, yeah, I hadn't put a connection like that between that and Kid Icarus. Um, but that's a good point. Um, they do tell stories in very similar ways. I like that you can't hear their voices, though, in this. I feel like that could maybe, maybe it's just because I'm not <laughs> used fair. to it. Um, but I don't know if that would be distracting if you heard them talking while you were playing. I mean, like Star Fox does it and Kid Icarus does it and stuff, and they, and they make it work. Um, so maybe it's yeah. just what I'm I think for to. those games, it makes sense. I think for Kirby characters, like, I don't know, some people want them to be like voiced. I don't know if I'm in that camp either that would want to hear like Kirby characters talking. I don't think I would want that. <laughs> but, uh, some people do are interested in that. I don't know if I'm in that camp. And like, I'm not sure that Kirby can hear them. Yeah, Kirby cannot. It's it's definitely different in that like they're talking to each other while it's happening, whereas like Pitt and Palutena are talking in that one because the dynamics different. They're they're working together. And we've got just such a, a random group of characters here. There's Captain Vol, who I don't think had a name until Kirby Superstar Ultra, but is just this this bird who's apparently <laughs> running things with Meta Knight. 
Um, it'd be interesting to see more of him down the road somewhere. Um, oh, he has such great like character portraits too. I'd love for his return. <laughs> uh, we've got some of the Meta Knights. We've got Axe Knight. We've got Mace Knight. We've got Sailor Waddle Dee, who is just a Waddle Dee with a sailor's cap, who's also just <laughs> tagging along for some reason. Um, but it, it's just funny to imagine them in charge. Like, I want to see other little skits just between them, like, run, running the ship and, and what goes on, like, a day in the life of, of running the Halberd. Uh, I agree. I think they're <laughs> they're very memorable and humorous uh, in their interactions and how much, like, they're <laughs> how they change throughout the, the journey. Uh, it would be funny to see them return. There is a return, I guess, to... I mean, Kirby Superstar Ultra added like um, that mode where um, where it's like DDD's Revenge or something like that, uh, which kind of does a similar thing uh, to this mode, uh, and it has like uh, Bandana Waddle Dee talking to DD, which is cute and nice. Uh, but it's just the two characters, and they're just kind of going back and forth on a similar a similar thing as this game. But there's something about this being like a crew of a bunch of people. Uh, I don't know. I I think I would like to see more of the of this the the Meta Knight crew. <laughs> and then digging into the trivia for this one, I thought was really interesting because even as someone who who knows Superstar very well, it was fun to see certain connections to other things in popular culture that I hadn't known about. Where I didn't realize that the Halberd's design uh, is actually inspired by an actual Japanese battleship called the Yamato from World War II. Uh, it was it's a very iconic thing from from Japanese history, and uh, there's an anime called Space Battleship Yamato, which has a, a spaceship that's inspired by the Yamato, and that spaceship is is very clearly an inspiration for the Halberd. So we were just looking at it now on our call, <laughs> and I liked hearing Bridget's reaction to looking it up, but <laughs> I freaked out. <laughs> it does it looks very halberdy like when i was reading like it's based on this other thing i was thinking like okay yeah maybe i'll look it up and there'll be sort of this resemblance to it it's like nope that's that's something that inspired the halberd for sure <laughs> without the big kind of no. bat wings coming out of it but definitely the shape of it you can recognize <laughs> right away bat wings and, and a mask yeah. on the front <laughs> uh it looks amazing i i've i've I was a little familiar with um, Space Battleship Yamato. I've never actually watched it myself. Um, I I had no idea what the, the actual battleship looked like. And I looked, uh, you showed me it. I looked it up and I freaked out. I, I was like, yeah, that's mm -hmm. it. <laughs> I'd never seen it. It was very exciting for and did me. Did you say there was like, a <laughs> kit to build one? It looks like, well, I don't know. I'm looking here at a, I, I looked up on Google uh, images and so like I, a box image came up. It looks pretty cool. <laughs> uh, I've been really into like model kits lately and I've built some kits for like ships from shoot 'em up games. And uh, this makes me really excited to maybe build yeah, if you, a Yamato. If you can't get a Halberd <laughs> kit, this might be your closest thing. I know. This is like I've been saying for for weeks now. Like, man, I wish how I wish there was more like Kirby related model kits. I'd love to build a halberd. This might be my closest thing. Um, and we should note too that the <laughs> halberd gets its name right from being a pun on uh, halberd, like the weapon, and the halberd 
since it's made by HAL Laboratory and it's something that flies. Yes. Um, so it's the Halbird, <laughs> but it's also the Halbird. Yes. <laughs> and other interesting pop culture references. I don't know Lupin the Third. I don't know that anime, but Lupin the Third Part Two has an ending that seems to have inspired the ending for uh, the scene where Kirby is riding into the sunset on the wheelie while the credits roll. Um, I looked that up oh, too, and so I can cool. definitely see the the similarities there. Um, so it's kind of neat to see these other ties to Japanese culture, um, other things in in their popular imagination that didn't translate to me at the time. Um, but looking at those influences and and looking at the ways it connects to other things is really cool to learn as an adult. Yeah, no, it's it's exciting. And it's like a game I, I always talk about and enjoy and love. And it's always exciting when there's like just more stuff about it to find out. Uh, it's part of the joys of just, uh, you know, loving something and getting to know it more throughout the years that you enjoy mm-hmm. it. It's, it's exciting. Uh, other fun little uh, tidbits. So uh, when you destroy the halberd and it sinks into the orange ocean, it's it's fitting that Meta Knight's base is just like at the Orange Ocean anyway. That's where you fight him when you first meet him in Kirby's Adventure. Um, and it's kind of sort of goes full circle that the uh, ship ends up there. Um, and then in Kirby's Squeak Squad, you can go to the Secret mm-hmm. Sea where you see the, the remnants of the Halberd underwater behind you. And then when you fight Meta Knight in that game, you can see out the window, the sky start to scroll and the ship is taking off again. Um, so they do eventually get it out of the water. <laughs> yeah, it's, that was uh, very cool. Uh, and of course, it would come back later also in uh, Planet Robobot. So it's, it's made its return where it was actually like shot down, but then returns again at the end of the game. Yeah, you can't keep the halberd down. through a lot. It just keeps going back. Yeah. <laughs> Can't keep a good halberd down. <laughs> yeah, and this is going to be a, a little bit of a spoiler for Planet Robobot. So if you haven't played to the end of Planet Robobot, you can skip ahead a little bit here. But Kirby does use the Robobot armor to scan the halberd, and you get to play as the halberd at the end of that game, which is a very fun reveal. And it, mm-hmm. it, from the way Shinya Kumazaki described it is that Meta Knight didn't intend for Kirby to do that that he flew in with the halberd to help him and then Kirby scanned it, <laughs> uh, which isn't explained in the game, but it's funny that, he, that that was his intention behind it. And it's just funny to imagine his reaction when it's like, I'm here to help. And then suddenly Kirby turns into it. <laughs> like, oh. It's like, I wasn't expecting that, but okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I had read that. It's very funny uh it's yeah it's not apparent when you play it it just it seems like maybe they planned it that way but apparently that's not the case like it's your reaction <laughs> to go oh wow i didn't know he was gonna do that but you don't think that that's also yeah. meta knight's reaction you don't think that he's also going <laughs> huh <laughs> interesting uh yeah I also like how um, looking at uh, I like looking at what things are in other languages, too, and how they translate the character names or titles of things. And I like that. So we we have the Orange Ocean, um, which I always perceive as being the Orange Ocean, like it's sunset and that's why everything looks orange or maybe everything just has like an orange tinge to it. And in German, they translate it as Orange Juice Ocean. So I don't know if in, in Germany they 
think that the the ocean is actually made of orange juice or if it's just kind of like <laughs> you know it's just a whimsical name the way they have like the butter building and just things named after food but it is yeah. funny to think of it as the orange juice ocean it, it does not <laughs> seem to be orange juice but it's a funny translation i want to believe there's the orange juice ocean sounds good i think that the the section where kirby's at the orange ocean after he gets like blown off the ship is maybe my first Kirby memory of playing Kirby. Because I can remember renting this game uh, with my twin brother, like around the time it came out. Um, like after, but like loosely around that time. And we hadn't played a Kirby game before, so we were still like figuring out what things did. And I remember being in that section with the, the Birdons um, when you're in the water area and using the, like the, the blue energy circles that cancel out your helper and thinking that maybe that was an attack like we were still trying to figure out what all kirby could do um i have this very vivid <laughs> memory of trying to like do that against the enemies i think in that area <laughs> i don't know this could be some kind of like a flashbulb memory no i think i think this is probably common because i i actually replayed the game today uh with my friend and he'd never played it before and he was confused by that too at first he's like what is this blue flashing what does this do and he's just like kind of doing it at enemies and i'm like oh that's that's when you spit out the power and then he got it and he was like oh okay <laughs> uh but i i think a lot of people probably were thinking that at first yeah too. so we were playing a rented copy so i'm guessing it was just like already a ways through the game and maybe we picked revenge of meta knight first or it just looked like the most interesting one or something um, so this might be the first Kirby experience that we actually have. It's at least my earliest Kirby memory from at least how how my memories work. You started with mm -hmm. a good one. I didn't really get to play Kirby Superstar until much later. I, I did. Uh, we had a Sega Genesis, so we didn't have a Super Nintendo. Um, I bought a Super Nintendo when I was in college and, and rented it or bought it, I believe, at the time. So, and I was like, whoa. <laughs> This is an incredible Kirby entry. Uh, I was really impressed. So I wouldn't say it's my earliest memory or even a childhood memory, but I think the fact that I still find it so memorable regardless, um, even without it being sort of like, a, you know, part of my growing up is just like, you know, it's just like a memorable mode, I think. And probably even more so if you played it back then. Yeah, so we've talked about how, how narratively... Um, it's so well put together. Um, there's a lot of great cutscenes. It's really told in this cinematic way. And then just gameplay-wise, it's really good at just continuing to keep things moving from one moment to the next. Um, so the bosses are all very cool. We could talk about the bosses if you want. And something that I, I thought was sort of maybe something I took for granted a little bit or hadn't really thought about as much of, um, but in the moment where you fight Wispy Woods, because you do leave the battleship for a while and it, it changes up the environment. You fight Wispy Woods and it's like, okay, you fought Wispy Woods already in Spring Breeze. You fought him before in other games. And then the ground opens up and then you come down and now you're fighting two Wispy Woods and you're fighting the Twin Wood. <laughs> like it's, it's full of these really interesting reveals where for something that really is only like 20 something minutes long, it's, it's just interesting reveal after interesting reveal. There's multiple secret rooms that you can find. The, the bosses, I know sometimes the, the phrase set piece is sort of frowned upon. Um, I was just listening to um, Nintendo voice chat um, from IGN where they were talking about how they avoid the, the word set piece at IGN. 
Um, and I and I get why because it's kind of a vague word. But you have these sort of kind of maybe intentional cinematic moments, we'll say, where you're fighting these like huge mechanical things, and and you're really seeing Kirby go up against uh, an enemy type that he has not encountered thus far um, in your experience with Kirby Superstar. Yeah, uh, there are like machine enemies, and like the first one, I think I, even before Wispy Woods, like they they sort of foreshadow this future fight by just like dropping this big like lobster machine on you mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, then blasting you off without even like a second to really, uh, you know, destroy it yourself. Uh, but it's like really impressive. Uh, and I love the heavy lobster. Actually, I, I kind of was hoping it would return in, in, in Planet Robot. It did not, but it's a memorable boss uh, that has like a whole sequence later too, where it's like chasing you down and the, the tension is up there and then you finally get to fight it. And there's a lot of machine bosses. And I think that's interesting because I think Kirby Superstar might also be the game where a sci-fi element is is sort of uh, introduced into the world. Like it's it's a magical world. It's a it's a cute world. There's things like the Star Rod and 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 things like that in prior games that maybe are some kind of technology, but we don't know. It's you know it could just be a magical artifact. Uh, I think this is like Superstar, sort of the first game where like yeah yeah, there's like machines, <laughs> there's maybe technology in this world, uh, which is interesting and I think sort of affects future Kirby games. Um, and also like the following mode uh, Milky Way Wishes also has more of that but um, it's it's interesting because yeah everything's sort of like a, 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 tr- a magical cloud or like a, a tree with a face and then suddenly it's like cannons and lasers and this machine you gotta hit a certain way uh, with mechanical arms and it's like very it's it's almost in opposition to like what Kirby <laughs> like what Kirby is with all this like cute you know faces on things type of stuff. <laughs> Here is like nothing with like real discernible faces and not trying to like not grinning or or making funny faces at you. Just like cold <laughs> hard machines coming at you, uh, and it's very interesting like juxtaposition. I think I don't know. I find it pretty interesting yeah and it's it's a pretty stark opposition too to just what a lot of other nintendo characters were doing right we're like mario oh, hadn't okay. fought like a giant gun like this before <laughs> um and like you know yoshi's not fighting a giant gun donkey kong's not fighting a giant gun uh like it's something that like samus could do right like it's something that yeah. kind of makes sense for some of their universes and here they're kind of they're they're staking their claim and going, you know, this is Kirby stuff too. This is something Kirby can do. He can fight this reactor where you're tricking the <laughs> reactor into shooting the beam at itself. Um, he can fight yeah. a giant mechanical lobster that it like it has that <laughs> it's you know it has that whimsy of being a lobster for for no reason <laughs> other than it's just fun. Um, yeah. But then it's also kind of, you know, it, it clangs and it has this sort of like a lot of like, you know, it has these like harsh edges on it and stuff where it's still kind of intimidating looking, even though it's a big robot lobster. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's great. I like it. It's I guess that's part of the, the 90s distinctiveness, too, of Kirby. You know, it's not always what you expect. And it's 
I think that's like a cool distinct thing about the mm-hmm. series. Yeah, Kirby games like they retain um this certain whimsical, you know, approachable quality that they have. Um, but they're willing to get a little gritty. They're willing to get a little dark. You know, Kirby and the Forgotten Land dealt with some definitely more in- intense subject matter. Um, you have a character that's inspired by lab mice who has part of his ear missing, uh, presumably from like experiments and things. Like this is a world of that has a certain amount of psychological realism to it, and where where some dark things happen. Um, I'm not sure if it's implied or not that the that the crew goes down with the ship um, at the end of the Revenge of Meta Knight, but that's certainly an interpretation that one could make. Yeah, I, you know, I think it's it's open to interpretation. There might be, I don't know if there's like a little dot that you see, like, although I think one of the big ones was like whether or not Sailor D, uh, Sailor Waddle D got out. Because it's, I guess it's often assumed that the, the rest of the crew kind of chickens out after its defeat before Meta Knight. And then, but like Sailor D, uh, Sailor Waddle D stays there. And I think people have always questioned whether <laughs> he went down with the ship mm-hmm. or not. Yeah, I think they have posted, they posted something on like um, Twitter a while back, um, back when it was Twitter, uh, with like a picture of the crew and stuff. So like, it might be implied that they're kind of still out there. Like, I'm sure they could bring them back and and come up with any explanation if they needed to bring them back for anything. Um, And it would, it would, I would, like I said before, it'd be kind of cool to see them again. But we don't really know what happens to them. Yeah. We don't know what's happened in their lives. (laughs) Uh but that would be exciting. And, you know, they're available if Hal if, uh, ever wants to, you know, reintroduce uh, the Halbird in some capacity again with that crew. That would be exciting. So on that note, I think we can head into our act two, uh, where we want to continue to talk about airships and talk more broadly about airships and other games and and why this as a level type uh, just remains so popular and so appealing well into today. Both of us have certain like favorite airships that we've thought of, and I don't know which ones that that you came up with on your list, Bridget. But what are some of your favorite mm. other airships from games? Well, I feel like no list about video game airships would be valid without this one, which might be on your own, but um, Mario (laughs) three, like every airship that you go to in every world um, where you have to fight a Koopaling. uh, They're, they're very exciting stages, uh, great music, uh, high tension. Each time you, you get on a battleship, you know, things ramp up. I mean, it's Mario 3, so (laughs) it's got to be like kind of like the definitive Mm -hmm. one, right? Yeah, I definitely thought of that one. I wouldn't say it's like one of my personal favorites, um, but it's definitely a memorable one that I think of. Like when I think about airships and video games, I think of those Mario 3 airship levels for sure. I also put Sonic 2, the airship level on Wing Fortress Zone. I guess that's an airship level. Yeah, right. It's like, yeah, it's like a floating (laughs) ship level. Yeah. and that's a memorable level too. It it also then leads to space as well, which is exciting. And then this is probably a less well, lesser known one that only I would pick maybe, but uh, I played Thunder Force 4 a while back and there's a level stage five, the space cruiser has like, uh, I mean, the game's all ships, you're a ship. <laughs> but the, the thing that's unique about this level is that you're a ship 
following this bigger space cruiser that's like warping through space. The background looks amazing. Uh, Mech tries to stop you, but the whole time you're just like attacking this ship, getting closer closer to it, and it's huge. And, uh, you know, missiles are coming out, lasers are coming out, all kinds of stuff. And it culminates into a, a part where you push back a, a boss called Faust, uh, who later you'll fight. But right now you and a bunch of ships just kind of push push away. Uh, and it's just like exciting and, and like quite a light show. It's just like one that I remember mm-hmm. personally. Yeah, neat. I would think that with all the shooters you've played, there's probably a lot of... I, I, mean, I don't know how much we want to blur like airship with spaceship but there are probably lots of air slash spaceships that you could name or have maybe even built models of yeah that's true i guess it's like a fine line i guess maybe airship is more like in still in the planet atmosphere Mm -hmm. maybe and this would be out in space but you know it's a big ship and i remember it Mm -hmm. i mean the halberd (laughs) can go into space so that's true yeah so you know uh, those are the ones I sort of remember the most. There's like, I don't know. Well, I guess uh, Kabula doesn't qu- count. She's more of a blimp. <laughs> but I remember her fight when I was a kid. Uh, and that also takes place in the air as a shooter section, which is pretty nice. Um, but I, I would say like probably the the early platformers that had these like airship levels like Mario and Sonic are the ones like I remember the most. It seemed like a more common thing, at least back then, that I can remember uh, in like older mm-hmm. games. Yeah, like when I was doing my choices, I was kind of thinking of like I was differentiating like favorite airships with favorite airship stages and how those are kind of different things where my favorite airship is probably the high wind from Final Fantasy VII, which isn't oh, really like I was thinking level. that too. <laughs> That's uh, It's piloted by Sid, right? The yeah. one that you use mm-hmm. to travel the map. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I wasn't sure vehicles. if I would, yeah, do level or ship. <laughs> yeah, okay, so you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, so you get these vehicles during the game, right? And it's, it's the final one you get. And it's, it's kind of a headquarters for your team where you have the whole crew together and it really takes you into the home stretch of the game. And it's just a, a very memorable part of that game. Um, mm-hmm. I also like the May ship from the Guilty Gear series, um, where May and Johnny and the jellyfish pirates all live. Uh, it's not really like an environment you explore, really. It's um, I haven't played all the Guilty Gear games, so some of them might have you exploring it more. Um, but it's, it's generally just a, a stage that you can fight on. Um, but that's a, a memorable one to me, too. My favorite airship level, I don't know, it's always hard for me to pick like favorite things, but one that really stood out to me was Storm Owl stage in Mega Man X4, uh, where you're going from different floating platforms or boarding, you know, these different ships along the way. And it's just a cool environment in a game I really like. Mega Man X4 is one of my favorite games. And so that just stands out to me when I think about air levels. Um, But for sure, I definitely think of the Super Mario Brothers 3 airships. I definitely think of the Sonic ones too. Yeah, no, that's cool. And for a game like Mega Man, where everything's kind of machines, it would make sense that that would have to be <laughs> be a level, right? So why do you think airships endure as such a popular level type? Like You've got the volcano levels, right? You've got ice levels, you have forests. There's all these familiar video game settings. And maybe we don't see <gasps> airships as often, but it's definitely something that comes back again and again. 
Why oh my god, I almost, I gotta I gotta also add another airship level that I like, but there's one in, in Kirby's Adventure on the NES. Mm-hmm. Uh so I wanna add that one. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh why are they so important? Well, I don't know. I feel like maybe big games like Mario 3, when that happened for the first time and you see Mario go up, it seemed like this very exciting thing. Like the hero is sort of bigger than even just like the the settings that he starts off on. He can end up, you know, out of this world, out of this atmosphere. Um, there's a lot level wise that you can probably use too, where it's like you have fans pushing people around or like walking on the on the airship blimp things or different platforms that you can kind of fall off of. And then the idea of them falling from the sky is maybe more dramatic or something too. Yeah, that's more or less what I was thinking too. I think it elevates the tension once you get the character off the ground. And they're usually not right at the start of the game. So you've gotten used to the character being on the ground. You've gotten used to them being in some more familiar environments, uh, moving usually left to right. And then once you're in the sky, the the stakes are increased. There's this this heightened tension of just being up so high. And airship levels tend to have good verticality to them too. And they start really opening up because like once they're in the sky, the the rules for where a platform can be placed aren't following the same rules of just walking along the regular terrain anymore. Like you get these big scrolling levels that you can explore. Um, They're outside, they're inside. You've got blowing wind. You've got enemies coming at you from all different directions. And it just I think it opens up a lot of opportunities for level design. Yeah, agreed. It's a. It provides more design options and also heightens things. And like, you know, when you see a pitfall on the ground in Mario or something and you fall, it's like, yeah, you die or or you end. But like, how deep is that? Oh, we don't know. He could have fallen, you know, a couple, (laughs) just a few feet or something. But like if he falls off the airship, I mean, or something happens up there, you know, it's a it's a little bit different. Uh, Mario falls into a hole and the camera scrolls down and it's just like slightly lower than the actual screen. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's like he's just sitting there. He's fine. Oh, that's not as not as deep as I thought it was. (laughs) Uh, That sounds like a funny gag for like a a a platformer that's sort of like messing with you. Just like you think you're gonna fall and it's like, oh, never mind. I'm fine. I think there's also something kind of tantalizingly relatable about an airship too that's different from a spaceship where we've been on airplanes. We know what that feeling is like and how it always still feels just like a little bit miraculous that a plane can get off the ground. Right. Like I think that even, you know, even with having experience being on, on planes and knowing that, okay, this is a thing we've been able to do for a long time as a civilization, there's still just something a little bit magical about being in a plane and looking down and everything and being in the sky and feeling like humans can do this now. And, with a spaceship, it, it feels like it exists very much in the realm of fantasy still. Obviously, there are, there are actual space shuttles and things. But like spaceships, in terms of like science fiction and stuff, exist so far beyond our actual experiences. They seem to inhabit very much just a space of the imagination. Whereas an airship feels like something we can sort of relate to, even if they don't quite exist the way they do in video games. We can at least say like, okay, yeah, I've been in the sky before. I know what it's like to look down and everything down below you. I know what it's like to be in the clouds. And it's really exciting when your character is now elevated, especially a character who doesn't normally fly or doesn't normally do things like this, um, to suddenly be in that new space, high over everything, 
uh, it just feels kind of thrilling. Yeah. I think there's something about being in the air that captures people's imaginations. Like, I think we've always had that fascination, like the idea of people with wings or angels or being able to fly or things that can fly. It's always been part of our human imagination. All right. Well, is there anything else you wanted to say about airships or the Revenge of Meta Knight before we go? Um, uh, <laughs> not really. I think that covers everything. I mean, it's a great story, lots of action. Mm-hmm. It's a, uh, it's good. <laughs> yeah, it's just a wonderful example of short form video game storytelling and game design from the the beginning moments of Kirby approaching the ship to the final moments of Kirby having this escape sequence where Meta Knight suddenly sprouts wings and you're escaping on the wheelie. Like it, it just goes from moment to moment to moment, uh, never really letting up, never becoming dull. Uh, and it feels very carefully curated um, to keep giving you surprises and fun twists all the way through before ending with with really excellent credits music and uh, ending on this kind of reflective tone over everything that has just transpired. Uh, just really, really excellent video game storytelling uh, that, that has also won a Grammy. <laughs> so yeah. here you go. <laughs> Kirby Conversations is a production from me, Sean Douglas, Kai, Captain Dangerous Parker, and Bridget. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe in your podcast player for a new episode every two weeks. For Kai's photography, Bridget's video game content, and regular updates about this show, you can also follow us on social media through the links in the episode description. We especially hope you'll join us on Blue Sky, Threads, and Instagram. Our theme music is the song Winds of Change by Megan Kello in a new arrangement from Duncan Pixel T. Smith. And our show art is by DJ at drawing underscore lemons with a Z on Instagram. Kirby Conversations also has a Patreon, where patrons can receive bonus content, deleted scenes, and other rewards, including games and merchandise. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back again soon with more Kirby Conversations. Yeah, we had a tornado warning here. I'm, I live in the Madison, Wisconsin area, and I feel like uh, it makes it, it, it feels appropriate to record this, uh, <laughs> given that Meta Knight, you know, has tornadoes as his as part of his moveset. Yeah. Uh, right. Like the spitting tornado with the sword is such a signature Meta Knight thing or like creating the tornado that shoots out in front of him. Good night to have a tornado, I guess, if you're going to have a tornado. Um, <laughs> hopefully everyone is safe. Um, yes. But a fitting night for a tornado while also talking about Meta Knight. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Tonight was the night.